as you know, um, we have been coming through dispensations, and the dispensations have been, uh, you know, the periods of time uh, throughout the Bible, from Genesis all the way up to uh, Revelation, really God's uh, whole timetable for what he's doing from eternity to eternity uh, with the time concept in the middle. And we have been laying out and talking about, you know, each one of them. And if you have been following along, uh, you know, and getting all the material down, um, you're getting the pieces now that you can uh, put your Bible together. Nothing will, you know, once you get through a few basic definitions of things, which is what we did uh, starting out, and we talked about the, the important seven series and got that all laid out. Once you get the fundamental stuff down, there is absolutely nothing that will put your Bible together faster than a good, solid understanding of dispensationalism. How that it just will do everything for you when it comes to, to putting your Bible together. We have talked a lot here uh, lately uh, about... Uh, patterns of things. And uh, we're going to talk about today the last two sections of, of, of dispensationalism. And they're two separate ones, but they go hand in hand. So we're going to try to cover uh, all of it today uh, and, be, and, and, and go from there. But the first thing I want you to do is, you know, I want you to come over to Hebrews chapter 8. And I want to show you and then uh, I've never really given you all the verses on patterns in the Bible. But at this point uh, where we're at and what we have been talking about, it's so clear that you have to learn the patterns that God does. And as I said, Genesis chapter 1 to up to Genesis chapter 12, I don't know, maybe 14, uh, you have every pattern established. And then uh, you, so you, once you get that down of what God's plan is, once you understand that and you get that down, then it's just moving through here. Now look at Hebrews chapter 8, and it says in verse 1, Now of the things which have spoken, this is the sum, we have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the... Now watch this. A minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched and not man. Now that verse tells us that, that we had a tabernacle on earth. But here's now one where uh, it's the true tabernacle. And this one's up in heaven. And this is the one that the Lord pitched, not Moses or the nation of Israel. But you, you, you want to mark that verse. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices, wherefore it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law. Who, now watch it very carefully. Who serve the Old Testament priests, who serve under the example and shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was the monist of God when he was about to make the tabernacle for, see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern, 
showed to thee in the mount. Now, that pattern there is the pattern based on the tabernacle that Moses was told to uh, make that that man was going to use, but it's based on the true tabernacle that the Lord pitched. And so um, what you have here, and this is the key to patterns, this is what I want you to see. What you have here is when God lays out a pattern, it will show you something about what God is doing. Now, the tabernacle was in a tent. So the universe, second heaven, is shaped like a tent. And within that tent, you have the uh, tabernacle that God made and man that was the pattern for the one that he gave Moses. And it's, a, it, it's, an, incredible, it's an incredible concept to, to grasp and see. And patterns in the Bible are, are the key to breaking down the Bible and seeing what God is doing. Now, I want to give you the verses in the Bible that are connected with patterns. And it kind of shows you through this. And I've never, never really given these out before, but uh, this is where we're at. The first one's going to be Exodus chapter 25, uh, verses 9 uh, through 40. Basically, that whole chapter. And you're going to see there where it's talking about and dealing with patterns. The second one will be in Numbers chapter 8, verse 4. And then the next one will be in Joshua chapter 22, verse 28. The next one will be in 2 Kings 16, 10. And then the next one will be in 2 Chronicles 28, verses 11 through 12. And then the next one will be in Ezekiel chapter uh, 43, verse 10. And then when you get into 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16, and Titus chapter 2, verse 7, there in the New Testament, it talks about uh, uh, we should have a pattern of good works as Christians. So when you lay all those verses out and you see what he's doing with all of them, we're not going to do that. I'll stop my point today. You're going to see that God operates by a pattern. He always does. And, you know, when, anytime somebody designs something in the world, makes something, no matter what it may be, whether it's cutting out a dress or building a hundred-story skyscraper, they have a pattern that they go by. And it's inconceivable to think that if man has to use a pattern for the things that he builds, why would not God have a pattern for the things that he does? And obviously, he's showing us here that he, he does. And of course, again, this is absolutely, totally foreign to just about anybody in the Bible today. The level of of inability with the Bible is... Uh, is you want to talk about a pandemic, there is one right there. It is legendary in Christianity today and all the things that are missed. And of course, we know the reasons for that. But you're going to find that God has a pattern for everything that he does. And when we get into these last two dispensations, we're going to rely heavily on the patterns, especially when we get into eternity. Now, last time we... We uh, Now I want you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 7. The last time we got into the great white throne and we got into 
uh, the new heavens and the new earth, which in most cases, and just about everybody's Bible teaching on it, is where now they have eternity start. And of course, uh, let me show you how that that is not true. And Deuteronomy chapter 7. Verse 9, it says, Know therefore, verse 9, that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Verse 10 says, And repayeth them that hate him to their face and destroy them, he will not be slack to him that hateth him. He will repay him to his face. Now, come over to First Chronicles. Chapter 16. And he says in verse 15 of chapter 16, basically the same thing. Be mindful always of his covenant, the word which he commanded to a thousand generations. Now, this, uh, this, these two verses will give you a, a whole new light on when you bump into the word generations, especially in the Old Testament. Uh, look at Isaiah chapter 34. Now, this is talking about hell, uh, but it's past, or, or the lake of fire, excuse me. But this is past Revelation chapter 21. It's somewhere in before eternity. Now, watch. Um, verse 8, For it is the day of the Lord's vengeance and the year of recompenses for the controversy of Zion. And the streams thereof shall be turned into pitch, and the dust thereof into brimstone, and the land thereof shall become burning pitch. It shall not be quenched night or day, the smoke thereof shall go up forever. Now here it is, from generation to generation. Now, before you understood um, Deuteronomy 7 and 1 Chronicles, and I haven't explained it to you yet, when you bumped into these words generations, you just took it for what it, for what it was saying without really understanding the impact of the word that he's saying. Now come over to Psalms 105. Now watch this. Pick it up in verse uh, 7. 
He is the Lord our God. His judgments are all in the earth. Now that's the millennium. That's the millennium. Now watch what he says. Watch what happens. He hath remembered his covenant. That is the covenant that he made with Israel in Hebrews 8 and 9, the new covenant. And he hath remembered his covenant forever, the word which he commanded to a thousand generations. Now, <clears throat> this keeps popping up here, <clears throat> that uh, uh, this thousand generations. Turn over here to Psalm 72 again. Stay in Psalms. Look at verse 5. <clears throat> they shall fear thee as long as the sun and the moon endure throughout all generations. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> this has been called back in my day um, and was, was taught extensively. Uh, I was taught it uh, way back in the 70s when I began to get... <clears throat> my Bible, and this is called the dispensation of the ages of ages. And it's based on Deuteronomy 7 and 1 Chronicles 16, and a promise that God has made to Israel that once He gives them that covenant, before eternity begins, that He's going to be with them for a thousand generations. Now, a generation is time. It cannot be eternity. So, before, after Revelation 21 and Revelation chapter 22, which we go out into eternity, there's a period of time based on the generations in the Bible. Now, here comes the other issue. Um, you know, in the Bible, on the low end, you have 33 years as a generation, so that would be 33,000 years. On the high end, you have 120 years as a generation, so that would be 120,000 years. Or yeah, uh, so it's a thing where you don't know which one it is, but it's it's clear that after millennia or when the millennium comes to an end and we have the great white throne judgment and all that and the new heavens and the new earth come into play. God has never honored this with the nation of Israel anywhere in history. So it has to be honored. So it looks like from the new heavens and the new earth in Revelation chapter 21 till eternity begins where there now there is no time. Now, Hold that there and come back to Ephesians. And I'm trying to give you this as easily as I can, uh, but I'm going to show you the pattern here in just a moment. And this is how you always, this is what you want to look for. Now look at We'll come back to this verse in a little bit. But look at Ephesians chapter 1 and look at verse 10. 
that in the dispensation of the fullness of times. What is that? That is when time comes to an end. And now eternity begins. And there's some things that happen here, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later. I wanted you to see that there's a dispensation of the fullness of time. That, that is the dispensation when time comes full circle. And then there is no more time. And that has to come at the end of the ages of ages or a thousand generations because generations require time. So this is what, this is, this is what, you know, yeah, this is one of these unknown things in the Bible that is absolutely hidden. Back in, as I said, back in my day, it was, you know, it was taught and understood and everybody understood what was going on. But here's the pattern. And this is what you look for. This is what I'm saying. Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 12, 14, all the patterns are laid out. So whatever you see beyond that, okay, you want to be able to go back into those first 12 or 14 chapters and find a pattern. So here's what you got. Now watch. Genesis chapter 1 through chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. We have what we know the gap. We studied it as our first dispensation. You know what the gap is? The gap is in eternity, right at when time begins, that you have an unknown period of time before God begins what he does in the rest of Genesis. That's a pattern. Bible is consistent. God is consistent. If you have that at the beginning, an unknown time period, guess what? You've got to have an unknown time period at the end of the Bible. And that will be your ages of ages. So see, Genesis 1, 1 and 1, 2 sets the pattern. And if you know your Bible and you understand how God does what he does through the patterns, then once you see a pattern, then what you want to do is be on the lookout for it someplace else. Now, that could be a dangerous thing, obviously. You've got all kinds of God's people out there that will take any piece of truth that they have and blow it up into some major malfunction that has nothing to do with God or the Bible. So you've got to be careful with that. My rule of thumb is the paper trail. You've got to be able to have a trail that shows you the consistency. For the ages of ages, obviously the paper trail, you cannot deny it, is Deuteronomy 7, you know, 1 Chronicles 16, Psalms 105, Isaiah 34, you know, uh, Psalms chapter 72. And it's a thing where once you see and understand that, then you realize that and there's, th those are the only... Those are the only three verses in your Bible that tell you that God's going to keep a covenant that he starts at the end of the, end of the tribulation, end of the millennium, for a thousand generations before eternity starts. Because you cannot have eternity if you have generations. Because generations are time. So this sets up the, from the pattern, there's an unknown time period at the beginning, and there's an unknown time period at the end. I cannot stress to you enough, and I know that you and the people that are listening today, I know that you, uh, you're, you're Bible students, 
And, uh, you know, uh, in any church, you have people who, you know, just take an interface passing with the Bible. You know, and I, and I said this Thursday night uh, about the question about the Christ-glorified body and all of that. If you would take what I'm giving you to the average Baptist preacher in this city, country, certainly any neo-evangelical guy, even if he was a purebred neo-evangelical or he was a transplant from the Baptist churches that switch into that by taking Baptist off their name and accepting their doctrine, they would look at you like you're a tree full of owls. They, they just would, they would, they would have no clue of this. And this is why... Things like this, wait till we get into eternity. Things like this, things like your glorified body, things like, you know, why there's no need for the female gender in the body of Christ in eternity, uh, and seeing that. You see, you, if you don't work at getting God's mind and seeing everything from God's standpoint, then you're going to be damned and doomed to be as confused as you ever hope to be and reject a lot of Bible truth because all your life you're just taking a passing acquaintance with the Word of God. And when you find something you don't understand or it threatens you or you don't like it because it goes the way against what you think, you're going to reject it. And that's just the way it works. And that's why these guys, uh, Bible scholars, Bible teachers, pastors, you know, Sunday school teachers, whoever, once they lose their Bible, they lose all relevance of any absolute truth. And God shuts the door. Revelation chapter 3, the Laodicean church. Jesus Christ is on the outside knocking on the door trying to get back in. The door of Revelation gets slammed in their face. So real Bible truth then that 100 years ago or so was standard issue to people being taught the Bible... Um, absolutely gets, gets lost in the shuffle. And it's a thing where uh, it, it's a shame today, but that's just the way that it is. So you need to be prepared for that. You need to understand that, that what you're getting, pure Bible is totally, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's being introduced in a Christian world that is full of gas, man. I mean, there's, there's no pure to it in any way, shape, or form. It's contaminated. So truth is going to always be batted down and, and rejected. Uh, and yet at the same time, at the same time, and this is what will drive you nuts, at the same time, if you took that Baptist preacher, neo-evangelical preacher, Bible scholar, Bible teacher, anywhere in the world and set them down at the table and gave them those verses that I gave you and asked you them to explain it, they couldn't do it. They cannot explain it themselves, but because they look at themselves as superior through their education, they fall into the mind trap that you and me as stupid individuals they don't have, a, have, the, have anywhere near their intelligence and their Bible training could have the answer and them not have it. And that is the arrogance that drives this thing. And uh, that's just what, what you're up against. So you're going to see that the ages of ages is a dispensation unto itself that for an unknown period of time, a thousand generations, whatever that is, 33,000 on the low end, 120 on the high end, and there may be another generation that we've never seen. 
But at least from our, what we do know, 33 on one end, 120 on the other, before eternity ever starts. God keeps the covenant. In other words, he keeps that millennium going, or that government going, uh, before eternity ever starts. Now, now maybe during that, and I don't have any hardline answers on that. I, I, it, maybe he, he, he moves into uh, what he's going to do in eternity, uh, but still has the generations. I don't know. It looks like that could be what he does. Uh, but I, I can't speak to that in a dogmatic way because there's just no information on it. I'll tell you what you do have. He told you in Isaiah over there about the burning pitch and everything that was on this earth, what the earth has turned into, looks like the lake of fire. Come over to Isaiah 66. I'll show you another one that is, that is a, a mind bender that probably fits into this, but I, I don't know exactly how to put it in, so therefore I don't try. I only go when a, with the Bible with me. I, I'll only go as far as I can. And uh, if I can't go any farther, then, then I'll just leave it with what I do know. I'm not somebody who is going to try to invent something out of what I have. If it isn't clear in the Scriptures, I ain't, I ain't interested. I may have my ideas about it, but I will be sure to tell you that this is just my idea. I don't have any bottom for this. But look at this. Look at Isaiah 66, verse 22. Now, look at the context. For out the new heavens and the new earth which I will make shall remain before you, uh, saith the Lord, so shall your seed and your, and your name remain. All right, context is Revelation chapter 21 and beyond. Now watch this. And this fits right into our ages of ages or this thousand generations. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to the other and one Sabbath to another shall all flesh come to worship before me, saith the Lord. And they shall go forth and look upon the carcasses of the men that have transgressed against me, for their worms shall not die, neither shall their fire be quenched, and they shall be an abhorring to all flesh. Now that is somebody on earth going forth and looking at somebody in the lake of fire. It seems to be from places like Isaiah 34 where you see the land being turned into, into burning pitch, that for a period of time, anyhow, I don't know how long it goes, but it, 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 it's pretty clear from what we're reading that this is somewhere on earth. And for a period of time, I don't know how long, but it sure fits into the ages of ages, here are people going forth and looking at the carcasses of men, unsaved people from the great white throne judgment, and looking that. Now, I was taught this when I was young and growing up, and the pattern is clear on this, but I won't be dogmatic about this. But the pattern is very clear. The old boys used to say that this was the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea, there's no question about it, is where Sodom and Gomorrah was. Sodom and Gomorrah is Lincoln, linked to hell. The Dead Sea is, is, in, is, is called the Dead Sea because nothing can live in it. The salt content is so high that no fish, no any, any, man, any marine animal can live in it. You cannot drown in the Dead Sea. You don't need a life jacket because there's so much salt content in it that you just pop like a cork. 
Now, where did the salt content come from? Sodom and Gomorrah. That's where it came from. Really, we talk about Sodom and Gomorrah. There were five cities that he destroyed in that area and burned them with, with fire and brimstone. Brimstone is sulfuric or salt, and that's what you've got today. Uh, that's what they taught. I believe that. I wouldn't be dogmatic about it, but it's someplace. And if, if you're going to follow the pattern, the Dead Sea is, 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 would be your logical choice. So, I, 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 you know, and I'm just telling you, it, it, it is what it is. So, I want you to understand, before we get into eternity, that the ages of ages is a period of time that God, before eternity starts, honors the covenant or keeps the covenant with the nation of Israel before eternity begins for a thousand generations. Now, I don't know what he does during that time. I don't know what that differs from what he's going to do after time is over. I'm just giving you the verses. In God's mind, he has a plan. So I want that dispensation clearly understood in your mind (laughs) to as good as we can understand it. Now, having that one out of the way, now after that thousand generations, whenever that may be, now we have, we move into eternity. And eternity will be Ephesians chapter 1 verse 9, that as I already gave you, that in the fullness of time. Uh, when time does come to an end. Now, this is, a, this is the actual beginning of God's overall e- plan for eternity. And, you know, uh, and this is called, as I said, the dispensation of the fullness of time. In Ephesians chapter 1, I said 9 is actually 10. Now, this is where Isaiah chapter 9, and we use this verse a lot, but the verse says that once God comes back in Revelation chapter 20, that he establishes a government, and that government we know is the millennial reign of Christ. Within that government, the Bible says that there'll be no end. So this is the big, once God's government starts, it carries on into eternity. Now, here again. And boy, are we going to get way out there at this point in time. But you guys have been prepped for it. I mean, you've, we've been in this now, what, four years? You've got a lot of solid Bible. We, got, we built systematically on things. So this is, not, this is going to be okay for you to grab it. Somebody on the Internet out there that just picks up this thing and, and, and goes through it, you know, is going to, uh, you know, I'm not saying they would, but they, they could they could really go bananas on something like this because it's so far out from the normal from the normal stream of Bible Christianity, as most things are today that are meaningful in the Bible. And this is exactly what do I mean? If if a person, and I understand that people question things about the Bible, and that's what we want you to do. That's why we have Thursday night Bible study. That's how you learn. But you're going to find that people who uh, that struggle with things like this or like the question Thursday night, in most cases, they are people that if you would sit down with them, they know nothing about the Bible. 
Um, they probably, most of them aren't in church anywhere. <clears throat> most of them don't study the Bible. Um, they just sit around and, and hear things or see things or somebody says something and they get all nervous and upset about it because, you know, at the end of the day, they have no foundation, no basis for anything. If they're even saved at all, you know, uh, it's a thing where that if they are, they never grew. So when they get into, and this is why I'm careful, uh, you know, on Thursday night, uh, I'm not so much careful here, though I ought to be now that we're broadcasting it out there, but I don't really care. But for you guys, you've all been, I brought you and nurtured you up in the Bible. Right now, the people that are in our, my Bible Institute, you here and you out there, you probably have more of an understanding of the Bible than 99.999% of the preachers, the Bible teachers, the Bible colleges in the world today. So you have a good base for this stuff where, where, the, where they don't. But Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7 talks about the fact that God has a plan. Now, you hear me talk a lot about the mind of God. And the mind of God is, is the Word of God itself in a general sense. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 and 9 says that God's thoughts are not my thoughts. His ways are higher than mine. And that's why when you become a Christian and you begin what you're doing, the transition process comes from transitioning from the way you look at things to the way God looks at things. That's God's mind. And the way that you do that is, in, is the way I teach you the Bible, is through just a systematic breakdown of the Bible in component structure. Not trying to eat the whole Bible at one sitting, but break it down in pieces, look at each piece and understand it, and then in time be able to bolt all the pieces back together. And, you know, we've talked about that before. And, you know, getting, when, you, when I talk about getting the mind of God, I'm talking about you being able to look at not just your Bible, but everything around you, everything that is taking place, past, present, and certainly the future, and begin to see it from God's standpoint and not your own standpoint. And it's, uh, it's probably the greatest thing that you will ever, ever, ever do once you get to a level in your life in the Bible that uh, you're ready for that. Problem is, most people never get uh, to that level. And, uh, you know, it's a thing where it, you can tell in people when they do. You can tell by the way people look at things. You can tell by the way people understand things. And you can understand how people grasp things when they see something or hear something that maybe they never heard before, but they're smart enough to follow and use the patterns. And this is why, you know, when it comes to heresy in the church, uh, Paul said, you got to have heresies in the church uh, because they prove what is uh, the truth. And, you know, at that verse, when you look at it, you, 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 you kind of scratch your head and what that means. But it, it's so simple. Paul said, the things that you have heard of me among many witnesses, <clears throat> the same commit the faithful men. And by that, I'm saying that even in heresy, understanding heresy from Bible truth follows a pattern. Most people get caught up in it, and uh, I've had guys come up with stuff, some of the goofiest stuff you ever saw in your life. And uh, I, always, I always watch, 
You know, I talked about the six things that you use to deserve a heresy. Well, the first one is, is what Paul said. And you simply <clears throat> look at something that somebody <clears throat> is teaching or wants to put out, and you put it up to the pattern. And I always look at a guy or gal, doesn't matter. I always look at when they get whatever their teaching is that they want you to believe. And they all come the same way. God showed me this, you know, I've got this, you know, da 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 You know, I understand. I get it. But they all follow the same pattern. And I always watch <clears throat> to see, which is actually the second thing on this, their attitude of heart toward truth. I want to determine, <clears throat> do you want to believe that, what you're trying to put forth, more than the Bible truth? Now, I know you would say, oh, I want the Bible truth, but... When you're shown a clear, absolute principle that knocks your heresy, like George Brett knocking the ball out of the ballpark, what do you do with that? Do you say, yeah, that, that finishes what I had. I guess it was wrong. Or do you try to wiggle your way around it and find some other way? When I see that, I'm done with you, man. Because I know now that across your forehead has been branded and you only can see it with an ultraviolet light, but it's been stenciled on there, unteachable. Because you want to believe what you believe more than what the Bible says. And, I, and I, the pattern is simply this. If you don't have a pattern of whatever you're trying to teach, going back through an established pattern of witnesses that Paul said you have to have, to determine what is truth versus what is heresy. If you don't have a line of 100,200 million Christians who believed what was being taught today versus Bozo the Clown, who now has come up with some new doctrine that nobody down through history believed, you're out. I don't want to see your verses. I don't want to hear your rhetoric. I don't want to hear your stupidity being put out any, any longer. You're done. You know why? Because you have no pattern. By the greatest Christian that ever lived said, the things that you have heard of me and of many witnesses. And if you don't have that pattern of history, hit the road. See you later. We got guys now who believe that there's no rapture. And of course, what's the pattern? You have, what, 2,000 years of Bible Christianity and some and the greatest Bible minds on the planet who taught it, and now you come up with the idea that it isn't true? Are you kidding me? When you couldn't find anybody other than maybe a Jehovah Witness or a Mormon, <laughs> who's your witness? That thing will kill you. And when that is out, then I watch what the guy does. He either says, boy, Bob, you're right. I, I don't have a pattern. And therefore, you know, this, I have to rethink this because there's no pattern to it. Or he says, as one guy said to me one time, I don't care what the Bible says. I know what I believe. And there you are. And when you go that route, you go your way and I'll go mine. And it's just, that's just the way it works from that point on. So we see that. Now, God has three plans in the Bible when it comes to eternity. Three plans. And I, I want you to see this. First of all, he has a plan for the universe. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7 will be our plan for that. And this is where he says of the increase of his government and peace, uh, there will be no end. 
that the, uh, for the throne of David will order it and establish it henceforth forever. So when God created everything, and here's the pattern, when you go back to Genesis 1 through 12 or 14, you'll see the pattern of why the universe. What is he going to do with it? That pattern is clearly laid out for you back there. And you realize that God has a plan for it. There's a reason for why he created, we call it the universe, the Bible calls it the second heaven. And so we'll use the Bible term, the second heaven. The second plan is that God has a plan for this earth. You'll find this in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 18. That God made the earth to be inhabited. Now that's an incredible verse. Because it tells you that the only planet that has life on it at this point in time is the one God created to be inhabited. And did you ever notice that we have nine planets in our solar system. It fudges back between eight or nine. They can't decide whether Pluto's a planet or not. But it, uh, we have nine planets in our solar system. And you realize that every one of those planets, of, the, of uh, eight of those nine, excuse me, eight of those nine were named by the world. And they're all after pagan sons of gods that came down in Genesis 6. You have, you know, Mercury. Mercury is called Mercury, because he was the fleeting God, the fast God. And Mercury spins around the sun so fast that she, they call that Mercury. You have Venus. Venus is the God of, 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 of love, you know, and so you have Venus. Then you have, you know, have uh, Mars. Uh, I'm skipping Earth for a minute. You have Mars. <clears throat> Mars is red, so it's called Mars, which was the God of war. You have Saturn. Saturn is the ring planet, and so Saturn uh, is, is a god. You have Jupiter, which is the king of the planets. So, you know, you find Jupiter as the king of the planets, mentioned in Acts chapter 19, verse 35, to draw your attention to that pattern. Then as you go on out there, you know, you have the last one is Pluto, and Pluto is the god of the underworld. And Pluto is so far out there. I know you thought it was Mickey Mouse's dog. No. It, it's so far out there that it's in total darkness. If you would be on Pluto, the, our sun would just look like a bright star. It virtually gets no light from it. It's absolutely so cold that it's probably close to freezing oxygen, absolute zero as you can get. No atmosphere, um, no, no nothing. In fact, that's why that they think that Pluto was not a real planet, but an asteroid that just got captured out there, which it doesn't matter what it is. It's, it's way out there. And, uh, but all of those are named. But you notice that the one that had life, God named, and he called it Earth. And uh, it's, uh, it's the only one that he named. And that in itself is a model. It's a model for what's going to be in eternity. We'll talk about that when we, when we get out there. So God has a plan for the universe. God has a plan for the earth. Now remember, the earth is in the universe. And then Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, God has a plan for you and me. So they all are separate plans, but they're all connected because God has a plan for you and me. We live on planet earth. God has a plan for the earth, and the earth is in the second heaven, the universe, so God has a plan for that. So they're different, but they're all connected. You need to understand that. And again, 
Uh, you know, if you want to understand it, it's in a pattern of threes. Now, you know, and the reason why God did all of this in the way that he's doing is because God has a plan. That plan is enacted. I want to read for you again. Um, let's get off my perch here for a minute. I want to read for you again on our wonderful, stupendous chart over here that uh, we have. At the beginning, and this is a course of what God is doing. This is a visualized picture of God's mind from Genesis to Revelation. And it says at the beginning, God's original purpose was to populate an infinite universe with people made in his image, subject to him as almighty sovereign. That is God's original plan. That's why he created the second heaven, put the earth as a model, and I'm going to show you how that works in a little bit. And uh, this first trial ends in Genesis 1-2 with a rebellion of these spiritual beings called sons of God and a recreation and recommissioning for man made lower than the angels to begin the work anew. That would be Adam and Eve. This work, or this trial, ends in Genesis 3, verses 1 through 13. The subsequent revelation of God, that is the rest of the Bible, uh, is devoted to an accurate record of God himself, God's mind. is devoted to an accurate record of God himself becoming a man to redeem a fallen creation to absolutely ensure that God will finish to perfection his original plan. You just got probably the greatest single paragraph on the Bible that anybody could ever give you that that goes into so much detail to just lay out for you the Bible in a nutshell. And, uh, you know, the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation is a picture of God's plan. But before he could enact that plan, he had to give man and everything that he created a free will choice. And this is where free will comes in over the heresy of predestination and Calvinism, which is absolutely out of the pit of hell. One thing I've always learned about any Calvinist or anybody who believes it is you don't know squat about the Bible. Uh, you know, uh, it, it's a thing where uh, you, you know nothing about the Scriptures. You couldn't get into these verses if your life depended on it. But yet at the same time, and here's how stupid you are, you understand the great, eternal, deep, spiritual decrees of predestination and Calvinism. But you couldn't lay this out if your life depended on it. You know why? Because you're a heretic. You're a heretic. You've got somebody's teaching that has no pattern to it past Calvin. And uh, you bought into it, not because uh, uh, it was exciting to you. You bought into it because you're stupid. And, uh, you know, and I've dealt with these guys all my life. I've got guys who, that, uh, that I preach for them that are, when it comes to the Bible, they're as blind as a bat backing it backwards, man. And they have no clue of what the Bible teaches. Uh, and they're caught up in this heresy. And uh, it, it goes from there. The bottom line 
key is the mind of God. And uh, that's what the book is. And that's what the book lays itself out. And it's a thing where, you know, you, uh, uh, you want to be careful because you'll find, uh, you'll find guys out there that will reject that mindset. We had a guy on, the, uh, on Thursday Night Bible Study a couple of weeks ago that, that if you can go back and post the concept that was on a Thursday night, and I was talking about the mind of God, and he, he, he put in there his tweet, and he basically said uh, uh, the phrase mind of God is not in the Bible, Notice how Bob always uses that phrase when uh, he gets cornered or uh, he feels uncomfortable. And, uh, you know, and I let those things go because, you know, it's, you know, you know but, but to set the record straight, number one, I go to the church of the round table. You know why? Because you never get cornered there. First of all, you'll never corner me. I'll never allow you to corner me. I mean, that's not an arrogant statement. I'm just saying, you'll not corner me. I never get cornered with the Bible because I know how to sidestep the corners. And the second thing is, I am never uncomfortable when it comes to the Bible. But sit in the same room with me and I'll make you uncomfortable, I guarantee it. It's a thing where, you know, my point is this. When you find a guy like that who is that stupid when it comes to the mind of God, stay away from him. Because uh, they will take from you the one thing that you have to have, uh, and that is you know, the, mind, the mind of God. If you don't have that, and the absurdity that because the thing is not found in the Bible by name, that it doesn't exist when it exists in concept, it's, it's ridiculous. It just, again, it shows how absolutely stupid you are and how that you absolutely are unteachable, and you're going to believe what you want to believe, no matter what the record says of witnesses. And, you know, not just the way it goes. Been around them all my life. You know, uh, I, I equate them uh, with, you know, there are major issues in Christianity that you'll have to, as a pastor, have to deal with. People like that, guys like that, women like that. Uh, if the if the Christianity is a journey and we're all in a bus driving someplace to get the work done, they're just bugs on the windshield. And all you do is stop at the gas station and get that squeegee and they're off. So it's no big problem. But God has three plans and it's all built around getting God's mind. Now, here's what you got. And again, you have to follow the models. When you get into Revelation chapter 21, you were told in John 4 that salvation is of the Jew. So whatever God's going to do in eternity is going to be connected through the nation of Israel. You just got to know that. That is one of the most dynamic statements in the Bible, yet when you look at it and read it, you just scratch your head and say, okay, and move on. But there's a lot of depth to that. The nation of Israel is the key. God had a purpose for, in his mind for dividing the nation of Israel into 12 tribes. And of course, you're told in Book of Acts and told in other places that 
that everything in the planet, everything that God is going to do is going to revolve around the nation of Israel. So, when you come to the New Jerusalem, even though it's for the church, salvation is of the Jew, you have 12 gates. You have 12 angels. It has 12 foundations. It has 12 pearls. Uh, you have 12 apostles. You have the 12 tribes. You have 12 months in a year. You have the 12 signs of the zodiac. And the second heaven is actually divided up by those 12 signs of the zodiac, which each one match up to a tribe of the nation of Israel. And if that wasn't enough, while we're living here right now, here's the pattern. You have 12 natural boundaries on this earth that match up to the 12 tribes because salvation is of the Jew. See, these are the models that you want to follow. Adam and Eve was God's original model to show us everything that God is going to do. This is why you find a tree of life in, in, uh, in Revelation chapter 3, uh, in uh, Genesis chapter 2, and you find a tree of life in Revelation chapter 22. And the way you understand the one in Revelation chapter 22, which nobody does, you know what they do with Revelation chapter 22? If you're a Baptist preacher that's been educated, or you're a neo-evangelical idiot that has never been educated, or you're somebody out there that's a Bible scholar, when you come up against that passage, you know what you say? You know what they say? They tell you that that verse shouldn't be in your King James Bible. You won't find that verse in an NIV. Or if you do, you'll find a footnote that says it shouldn't be in there. That's the way they handle with things that they don't understand. They just sidestep them. And I'll give them, I'll give them this. The, that verse, Revelation chapter 22, verse 14, is not in the manuscripts of Sinaiticus and Vaticanus, which come out of the Roman Catholic Church, which is what they're going by. But it, it's only in one set of manuscripts, and that will be the manuscripts which your King James Bible comes from. And uh, that much is true. And, of course, they think because Sinaiticus and Vaticanus is superior to your King James text, because all the new Bibles come off those two, and they have rejected the text that the King's Age Bible comes from, they take that as superior over uh, what your King James Bible says, and of course, we know where that comes from. So, but, but, but that's what you're dealing with. And uh, it's a pattern. It's a pattern. Now, now how do I get into this here? Let me tell you how it looks like it works. I'm going to give you a lot of stuff here. This is something you're going to have to go through multiple times, I am afraid, to put it all together. Now, back in, Revelation, or back in Genesis, <clears throat> in the beginning, when God was doing what he was doing, you had the third heaven where God's throne was. And the earth at that point, again, was the central place or centerpiece of what God was going to do. And the earth was up at the top of that second heaven. There was no deep, there was no water yet. And it's a thing where, um, you know, it was absolutely uh, where God was going to do what he did. Lucifer, he's not Satan yet, <clears throat> obviously had a throne 
in the garden of God in Eden. And I'm saying to you that the third heaven, he was at the top. He was over everything that God was going to do uh, if that plan would have carried out. But here again, that's a model. That's a pattern. We know what happened. We know what God allowed to happen because that wasn't God's plan. God's plan was that he would give everything that he created an opportunity to be with him or not be with him. And Lucifer took that up on that, as a third of the angels did, and they bolted, and you know what happened. Okay, when that took place, from 1, 1 to 1, 2, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Verse 2, the earth without form and void and dark upon the face of the deep. We know that what happened was a galactic Star Wars battle between Dark Vader and, and whoever. And, of course, it, it, we, what happened was, is in Isaiah chapter 13, verse 13, in Job chapter 9, verse 6, it tells you that during this battle, from 1-1 to 1-2, that the earth that is at the top is now knocked out of first place. And it clearly tells you that in those two verses. The earth is knocked, shaken, kicked, dropped goalpost whatever you want to put it, out of that position. And now she is at the bottom of the universe. See, how do you know that? Isaiah 66, 1. God says, heaven is my throne. God's sitting on the throne in the third heaven. The earth is my footstool. God fills the expanse of the second heaven. Earth is now at the bottom. Now, why did he do that? Because once it all fell apart, God's plan was going to be the redemption of man and bring man by his own free will choice into going with the plan, the government that God's had. But he puts out little parentheses in eternity called time by which he's going to, he's going to fulfill that. Now, hang on a second here. Let's talk about God for a moment. Earth right now is at the bottom of the second heaven. When you find in uh, Genesis uh, 1, 1 and 1, 2, the earth is filled, or the second heaven is filled with water, the firmament, called the deep. And then, of course, when he begins his reconstruction of things, he splits that water. Now there's water at the top and the water at the bottom. At the very top, the Bible says in the book of Job that it's frozen. So when John saw it in Revelation, he called it a sea of glass. Now why is that water there? Because right now, God's sitting on the throne. His glory, His his brightness would fill the expanse of the second heaven, which it will at some point in time when it's planned, but not now. So what he's done is he has put the water up there, which is 
I can't even give you a description of how big it is or how deep it is, but it's it deep enough and big enough that it fills the whole expanse of the second heaven up there, and it's deep enough that it filters all the light of God's glory from keeping it coming into um, that we would have no need of the sun if, if that glory was here. And that's why they have no need of the sun anymore when it gets way out there in, in, in eternity. Now, when the earth, you're told this in, in First Peter, in Second Peter, when the earth is renovated by fire and the fire destroys everything, it clearly tells you that there's no more sea. That deep is now gone. Because when God starts his government and is going to carry into eternity, the light and God's glory is going to fill everything in the universe. So it's a thing where right now uh, the earth is, is her own brand of quarantine. The earth is stay at home in the bottom of the universe uh, so she doesn't contaminate everything that's out there because she would if she could. Man already is doing what they did or tried to do in Genesis chapter 6, connect with the sons of God again, which they will. But notice how God has, has put man so far down that he, uh, he'll, never, he'll never contaminate the universe again. This is why when uh, God was given, uh, man was given dominion over everything in Genesis, he was given dominion over the fish of the sea, the things on the earth, and the birds, but he was never given dominion in outer space because that's somebody else's domain. And the moment he gets out there, he's in trouble. Now let's talk about God for a moment. Hang on. Every time you find God, God the Father, who's invisible, he's likened to light. And... Uh, <clears throat> You know, if, if I could put it into terms for you uh, that you'll find, um, the key to it is in Malachi chapter 4, where it talks about, Behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and shall proud shall be do wickedly, shall be stubble, and the day that cometh shall burn them up uh, as the Lord. And then he says in verse 2, the who's going to burn them up is the son of righteousness. That's Christ. But notice the word son is spelled S-U-N instead of S-O-N. That's a pattern. All right, you want to understand God the Father? Look at the sun. The sun is an absolute white light. The sun is so bright that uh, you got to put sunglasses on or tint your windows to look at it directly, or if you look at it long enough, it'll burn your eyeballs out. And the sun is made up of a million, million, billion, trillion, absolutely octillion, whatever, atomic blast going off uh, all across the surface of the sun. If you want the best definition that you can find of God, you'll find it in Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, that God is a nuclear reactor that is constantly putting out um, the explosions of light that the sun is a type of. And uh, this is why the Bible says no man can see God and live. And this is why he had to block that light from coming down because it would have exposed and burned up everything because God is a consuming fire. So he had, to, he had to shut it down. He had to block it. He couldn't let it get through. But it will get through at some point in time when God is ready to do that when he begins his plan. Now,
there's two kinds of radiation that are in outer space. One of them is what they call solar radiation, which comes from the sun. The other one is, listen to me now, cosmic radiation that they do not know where that source comes from. Our Earth is protected from both solar and cosmic rays from what is known as the ozone layer, which you ladies are hell-bent for election to destroy with your hairspray. If we didn't have the ozone layer, we would be all, we'd need sunblock around six million. We'd all be cooked. And God put around this earth to, to protect the earth from solar radiation, which is a type of God the Father, and cosmic radiation, which they do not know the source, but I'm telling you right now, the source is the throne of God, because God is a nuclear reactor. And he is, a, he is an ongoing, burning light, white light, that is a consuming fire, that that's why if you look over there when he finally burns out the earth, the eyeball, go back in the Old Testament, their skin melts off of them, their eyeballs melt in their socket, the skin burns right off of them. Go look at the survivors and the ones who didn't survive, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And that atom bomb was just like a firecracker compared to the one that God is. But it's the pattern. Molecular structure as we know it, is defined by God in the book of Hebrews. The Bible says that, that things are held together by things which do not appear. That's atomic structure. Atomic structure, we know it as atoms. And atoms make up the table or the chair you're sitting on, but if you had a microscope powerful enough and you could look at it, you'd see that, that uh, there's great gaps between those but that table, your car, everything in life is being held together by things that do not appear. Atomic structure is a picture of God holding things together. By all things, He is before all things, and by Him all things consist, the Bible says. Now, you take an atomic atom, it's got a neutron and a proton. It's got a positive charge and a negative charge. You take your Bible, you've got a negative charge and a positive charge. Nobody can explain, if you try to put it, it's like taking two magnets and trying to put them together, they'll keep repel each other. A, a negative charge proton and electron trying to put together will, will, will repel each other. Nobody on planet Earth can explain why in an atom, two components, one negative, one positive, that absolutely repel each other, stay together within that atomic structure and don't shoot off from each other. And the answer to that is that atomic structure is a picture of God. Everything in the Bible, you have in the Bible light versus darkness, right versus wrong, positive versus negative. And right now in the world, you have light and negative, positive and negative, staying in the same area even though they repel each other. You know when you get an atomic bomb? When the scientists can come up with a way to take the negative and the positive and split them. And when they split them, you have an atomic eruption, atomic bomb, an atomic blast. That's all that it is. So, what's God going to do? 
He's already given us the pattern. This whole universe is held together by atoms. Atoms have a negative and a positive charge. When God's going to renovate the new heaven and the new earth, you know what he does? He just stops that power. They separate, and you have a hundred billion, trillion, million uh, nuclear blasts that burn out this universe and put it right back to where it was in Revelation chapter 22, new heavens and a new earth. You see, you learn that from the patterns. He told us in Romans chapter 1 that the visible things of him from the creation, 19 and 20, chapter 1, are clearly seen ah, and understood ah, by the things that God made. So this is what you have. And God is, uh, when that thing all ends. Now, now this is why man will never get out, man will never get out into outer space. Uh, when you have people up there in the, uh, in the uh, space shuttle or whatever, um, they're constantly bombarded with cosmic radiation. And if a solar flare shoots off the sun, it dis- it's so powerful that it, it disrupts everything on Earth electricity-wise. I mean, it, it's just that simple. And of course, the ozone layer blocks that. But if you're in outer space and you have a solar, um, a solar blow-off from the sun, uh, it would fry you and kill you just like that. They've got to be very careful of that. Cosmic radiation, they do not know the source of. But it takes its toll on man. This is why man will never go to Mars. I don't care what anybody says. I mean, uh, it's just, it, it just will never happen. Uh, they, 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 the cosmic rays uh, rain down on a planet, uh, you know, and any guy out in space that's not protected gets bombarded. This is why many of the astronauts, Alan Shepard comes to mind, that he, he was in the best physical condition that he could, but he died of leukemia. When the astronauts are out in outer space, they've reported seeing lights. And they would report them seeing lights, and they didn't know what those lights were. Once they got back and they checked it, they found out that what they were seeing was the cosmic rays were shooting through their brains, causing them to see light, but in actuality, it was no light there. It was the rays that was going through them. A trip to Mars on a good day when it's in a good position would take six months uh, to get there when it's close. They'd spend a year on the planet and then at the end, six months or eight months to get back. The radiation, cosmic radiation, of that would, do, would bring their brain down to a 13% mushball. Your worst case Alzheimer's is only operating at 40% dysfunctionality. It, they would be a bowl of soup. And this is why they'll never get a man to Mars. And it's a thing where uh, God right now has protected us from that. And that cosmic radiation is what filters through. The Titanic, 1912, April, uh, hit an iceberg and sank. 
it's down around six or seven thousand feet of water. You could have a sun, the sunniest day on a planet, and you could go down to six, seven thousand feet. You can't see the hand in front of your face. The water filters out the light. And this is what God has done with the great deep, with his glory, for now. And it's a thing where the light from God can't get through. The cosmic radiation can get through. So God put it around the earth to protect it, told man not to go out in outer space, because when he does, then he's basically on his own. And uh, it's a thing where this is for what God is going to do uh, in the future uh, when the great sea is, is taken away. All this comes back to the patterns. The pattern of, is God the Father as a type of the Son <clears throat> in Malachi 4, the type of the molecular structure found in the book of Hebrews. Uh, everything is a pattern that shows you by the things that God made, the things that we can't understand, Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. And of course, uh, this is what it looks like, how it works. Earth right now is at the bottom. You're told that the top of the second heaven, where the God's throne is, that there's an opening. He says, he stretcheth the north, God's throne, over the empty place, and hangeth the earth upon nothing. That means that when all this comes back into play, then the earth is back up at the beginning, where it was at the beginning. Now, the new heavens, and a new earth, and a new Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem, if you go to Revelation and lay it out, is shaped like a double pyramid, like a pyramid sitting on the base of another pyramid. Point here, base, point here, base. Run 1,200 to 1,400 miles on each side. <clears throat> that obviously <clears throat> is going to be the base of operations for us in the eternal plan of God. It looks like that when the, the Bible says that the new Jerusalem comes down from God out of heaven, it looks like the inverted pyramid comes down and the capstone forms the, or the pyramid forms the capstone of the new heavens, and the, which is shaped like a pyramid. So you have a capstone here, and then the bottom pyramid comes down here, and that's where the earth will be back up to, probably with Jerusalem, satelliting right over Jerusalem, the physical Jerusalem. So we have the new Jerusalem satelliting over the physical Jerusalem because salvation is of the Jews. It's all going to start from there, but we play a part in it too. So the new Jerusalem is the abode of the church and your new glorified bodies. So what happens now is this. <laughs> okay, here we go. Once that is all back in play, and I'm based, oh, and by the way, the model for the double pyramid and is, is the great pyramid of Calafius over there in Egypt that nobody knows who built it, but it was never built as a tomb. Um, but when you go on the inside, you'll find that everything in it is based on the biblical structure. So whoever built it, built it showing the mind of God and the structure of God within that pyramid. Uh, they've never found a door in it. Uh, that door has been a secret, 
when they finally got into it, it's because some Arab bored in from the side and never found a door, found a passageway. There's, there's three uh, compartments to it, one for Israel, one for God the Father and Christ, and one for the church. Uh, but it's never had a capstone. All the other pyramids had them. This one never had one. And that's because it's a model of the second heaven, and one of these days um, it'll have the capstone of the New Jerusalem. Okay, here's how it works. I've given you the layout of the family of God. We are the only ones in all of God's family, people groups, that get glorified bodies, the church. Everybody else stays in a natural body. And this is where God's original plan is going to be fulfilled that an Adam is the model, Adam and Eve, be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. And so what's going to happen uh, let me just run you through the scenario. It'll be easier that way. Here's what happens. We're all out in eternity now, okay? And we, you and me, are all Christ. And uh, so, uh, and I don't, I'm not sure how this all works, but I know the components of it. Now you have people living on earth, and we don't want the earth to get filled up or full. So, salvation is of the Jew, so when a person hits 33 years, they're born, they grow up in it. When they hit 33 years of age, Christ is the pattern. God is going to stop their life there just as God stopped Christ's life at 33. So now, they're going to be born in a month, 12 months in a year. And that month is going to match up to one of the tribes. They're going to go into the New Jerusalem through one of the gates that matches up to the month that matches up to their tribe. They're going to go into the tree of life, which bears 12 manners of fruit, and they're going to take a, one of the 12 fruits that lines up to their month, that lines up to their birthday, that lines up to the tribe they're with, that lines up to where they're going to go when they, when they get stepped out into the plan of God. And they're going to eat that, and they're going to live forever in a 33-year-old body, physical body, never going to get any older. You know, and there's people that balk at that, and yet they, they read their history. Ponce de Leon stomped through Florida and the mosquitoes and the crocodiles and the, and the snakes to find, a, to find a fountain of youth. Everybody wants to stay young. And that's what science does, try to get you to live as long as you can. That's why women get Botox and, and, uh, and facelifts and body lowers and everything that they do to try to, to keep stay young. Everybody wants to stay young. Well, God's got the fix for that. You hit 33, you take the tree of the fruit that matches up to your month, that matches up to your tribe, that matches up to your gate, that matches up to your place, and then it, once you get that, then you're transported by twos, like Adam and Eve, they're the model, out to a planet that matches up everything to the twelve. You're put down on there. The model is be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. Except this time, this time, you and me as Christ are to them in their new world what Christ was to Adam and Eve when they were down here on the earth. That's the model. Now, what I'm about to show you is way off the chart, but that's okay. We're already about as far off the chart as we can get. I want you to look at, come over to Proverbs chapter 8. I'm going to show you something about Christ. 
And this is absolutely unknown today. And it, it, most people would hear it. They would just think it's the most heretical thing they ever heard until they sat down with me with the Bible. And then they would be the most heretical thing anybody ever heard. Now, Proverbs chapter 8 is the deepest chapter in the Bible. It's all about Genesis 1, 1, 1, 2, and then what takes place after that. But here's what I want you to see. Look at verse 22. This is Christ speaking. The Lord possessed me. Look at the reference. God the Father, uppercase. The Lord possessed me in the beginning of his way, before his works of old. I was set up from everlasting from the beginning or ever the earth was. Oh, then Christ is saying that he was set up, put in a place to do something. Here it comes. When there was no depths, so this is before Genesis 1-2, I was brought forth. What does that mean? When there were no fountains abounding with water, those fountains are found in Genesis chapter uh, 1 and Genesis chapter 6. They're out of the deep. Before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth. Now what does that mean? How in the world is Christ brought forth? Now here's where you're either going to go with your Bible or you are not going to go with your Bible. And here's what you've got. When God began to do what he was going to do, God was always a trinity. Within him was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. No question about that. But it, when God was ready to do his plan, he knew that God is a spirit. And God could not fellowship with man as a spirit because he's light and he would burn your eyeballs out and, and you'd burn you into a crispy critter before you ever got a word out of your mouth. So what did God do? God brought forth out of himself the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now this has led many of the early guys who get screwed up in the Bible to teach that Jesus Christ was a begotten God. And the word begotten is never used in this. Notice he was brought forth. In other words, he always was, but now he, God manifests him as his son. And this is where God's son, Jesus Christ, someplace in a distant past, steps out of the Godhood to be manifest as God's son, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because God needed that manifestation. That's why the Bible gives you the key over there in Timothy where it says God was manifested in the flesh. God wasn't a, Jesus Christ wasn't a begotten God. He wasn't a lesser God created. He was always God, but God manifested him as his son, and he came out of the Godhead. Told you two times he was brought forth. Brought forth from where? Topeka? Brought forth from the Godhead for a purpose, to be in God's plan. Notice verse 22. The Lord possessed me from the beginning of his way. Ah, boy, that's the key in the Bible. In the Bible it says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Everybody thinks the beginning is the beginning of time. Now we know what that beginning is defined in the deepest chapter in the Bible. In the beginning, God created was the beginning of his way, the beginning of what God was going to do. 
And at that point, he possessed Christ, but then he brings Christ out of the Godhead. And now God has a physical manifestation of the invisible God who is still God, Jesus Christ, and he's going to be part of what he does. So when Adam and Eve are down there in the garden and all through the Old Testament and up to the New Testament, when Christ was manifested as the Son of God to die on the cross, this is what God did. In the Old Testament, he's called the angel of the Lord. When Adam and when God, the Bible says that God met with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, it was Jesus Christ. It was the pre-incarnate, whatever he had, body, uh, that he came down and fellowshiped with them. That's why, as I told you the other night, when the devil showed up to destroy what God was doing, he showed up just like Christ. Looked just like him. Because the Bible says that he transforms himself into an angel of life. He didn't come down as some serpent or some devil with horns and a pitchfork to attract Eve. He came down as an angel of light, manifested and looked just like Jesus Christ. Just like you can put an NIV on this table and a King James Bible on this table, and they look absolutely the same until, until you hear what they say. So when the devil shows up, he says, Yea, hath God said, it's a pattern. And then he changed what God said. And from that point on through the annals of history, Bible scholars who are connected with the devil, preachers who are connected with the devil, whether it be an NIV, a New King James, or whatever you want to take, say, Yea, hath God said, and then they change what God said. They go after the original pattern of what takes place. So, now this person is on this planet with somebody else. Adam and Eve's the model. They're told to be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. Now, just as God came out of the Godhead, come on back to Ephesians chapter 1. Now, this is why you get a glorified body, and this is why there's no, in the, in the church, you lose your female identity because you become a son of God. Now, watch this very carefully. Verse 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will. You know how he did that? The mind of God. He gave you what was in his mind in a book, and you read the book, you get his mind. You can be a mind reader of God. Having made known unto us, stay away from anybody that says that that's not a biblical concept. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to the, his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. Here it comes, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, when time comes to an end, after the ages of ages, at some point in the distant eternal future, I have no idea when it is, but look what happens. He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are in earth, even in him. So just as God manifested himself out of the Godhead, at some point, he goes back into the Godhead. And all things are now in Christ. 
and there's no need for the person of Christ as the manifestation of God to be on the, be around anymore. Now here it comes. You know why? Because we are that manifestation. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, but it doth not yet appear what we shall be. And you now become, see, Christ was the model. That's why he only lived for 33 years. He's the model. That's why he went where he went and taught what he taught. That's the model. That's what he did with Adam and Eve back in the garden. That's the model. And in eternity, as they go out and that government goes on and on and on and on through the pattern of being established as Adam and Eve was established, after they take it a tree of life, that's why you find it in uh, Genesis 2, and then you find it again in Revelation 22. They're put out on these planets, just like Adam and Eve was. Somebody has to become the mediator between God and man. Right now, it's Christ. But after we get into eternity, there won't be any need for Christ, God to be manifest in the person of Christ, because God will be manifest in you as Christ. And you will be everything that God is. You will be everything that Jesus Christ was. You will become God. Now, I, when I say that, I had a pastor one time when I tried to lay it out to him. He says, well, that sounds like Mormon doctrine. To which I said to him, are you so stupid that you don't understand that every bad doctrine out there taught by anybody has to have a basis in the Bible someplace? And then I ask him, okay, you explain to me if that doesn't how it works, how it works. Did he know? No. But see, when you're so in a, when you're so shallow in the Bible, when you're so broken into the Bible that you don't know it, when you get out into eternity because you've never got into God's mind, you've never saw the government, where it's going, never saw the importance of the patterns to show you the things that God made will show you the things that are invisible. They're patterns. And you will begin to see how those things work. Now, I, I don't profess any way, shape, or form to have the whole thing worked out. I'm just giving you the overall component. I don't know all of the detail. I'm just following the pattern. There's a lot there that I have no clue about. And I'll even prof profess to, and I wouldn't even go there. I'm giving you what is absolutely sure based on the witness of the scriptures, of the mind of God. And that's, uh, you know, that's, uh, that, that's, that's what you have. And for whatever reason, God had a plan, I read it to you, to have a universe, second heaven, sinless beings that love him. But God will not force anybody to love him. He has to give everybody the free will choice. And so what God did was, you had eternity here, and I've given you this before, and eternity going here. And what God did was stretch those things apart and put a little parenthesis of 7,000 years for us as time. And in that 7,000 years... God gave everything that he created a chance when eternity picked back up again and God's plan, Revelation 22, was going to be enacted to choose to be with him or not with him. So you find from the Old Testament up into the tribulation period into the millennium, 
seven pieces of that family. You have the Old Testament people before the law. You have the people under the law. Then you have the people during uh, the the time where there, there, there is no law. And then you have the church age people that, uh, uh, you know, us. And then you have the tribulation saints, Jews. Then you have the tribulation Gentiles. And then you have the millennial saints. Everybody there gets to choose. Everybody that chooses right goes into that government, but only one group gets a glorified body. And that is us. And we are set aside because we are going to take the place of Christ in all of eternity. And you know what? Let me show you how stupid people are. The dumber you are about this, the better you can grasp it. Let me show you how stupid people are. A guy would say, well, I just can't believe that he is teaching that we are going to replace Christ out into eternity. And you are so stupid that you don't even understand that that's already what you've done in the church age. If you've got the guy sitting next to you who needs to be saved, Christ's going to come down and win him? I had a Bible study one time, and I, I was getting ready, and I said, uh, okay, uh, you know, uh, I'm going to go teach my Bible study now. And this self-righteous woman, she looked at me, and she says, well, Brother Bob, you do know that it's not really your Bible study. It's the Lord's Bible study. And I said, it is. Great. Let him teach it. And I left. I went and got me two cheeseburgers and a large Diet Coke. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think God came down and taught it? No. You know why? Because in the church age, we have taken the place of Christ. God allowed him to live on this earth for 33 years and then took him back to heaven, shut it down, and then embodied and powered you with his spirit so you could do the work that he would do if he was here. You know what you are? You're his replacement right now. And you're too stupid to see that. If you don't do it, it ain't going to get done. Sure, the Holy Spirit of God will lead and guide people, but you think Jesus Christ is going to come down and win somebody to Christ? You think he's going to show up in the morning and preach a sermon? You think he's going to show up in institute? He does that through the body of Christ, people. That's why the church is called the body of Christ. Right now, even though you've got your flesh to struggle with, and you, you've got God, Christ, living inside you. And you are his replacement. When you get out into eternity and you get the glorified body, again, in God's complete government, again, again, you will be his replacement. And this time in an eternal sense. Right now we're in a physical sense. But you're already his replacement. It's just people are so out of touch with the Bible, have no clue of of how it goes together that they just have a tough time with that. And yet, you know what? I don't have a problem with somebody saying, well, that just I just don't buy any of that. I don't really care. You know, if you're listening to this out there and you think this is all heresy and you're not gonna, you don't buy it for a moment, I could care less. I'm not to teach you the Bible. You get your own church, you can teach your people anything you want to teach. But I'm telling you something. If you were in this very room now, I'd throw an open Bible to you and I'd, I'd lay out questions on you that you would not have an answer to. 
And if you tried to answer them, you'd only reinforce how stupid we already know you are. All I've done today is take you through the scriptures. I've not given you one piece of my opinion about anything. I use the patterns because that's what we're supposed to do. I started with a pattern, Hebrews chapter 8, 9, and I end with the patterns. So now you know what eternity, for the most part, in a conceptual concept is going to be. A lot of details we don't have. Don't need them. We'll figure it out when we get there. But now you understand. And I would probably say this. Right now, I think the number's up to 15 or 16 or 1,700 of what they call exoplanets. And the exoplanets are planets that they're finding way outside our solar system that are invisible uh, to the naked eye other than maybe just a very faint star. And they all are saying that they're much, 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 much larger than Earth, but they're all Earth-like. And they're saying now that this is where probably if there is any life in the, in the universe, this is where life would be. And of course, uh, we all know that there's no life out in the universe, human life in any way, shape, or form. But they're not for life that is, is advanced beyond where we are, but that's for future when God's plan goes into effect. I would say, I would say that, uh, that in each, see, here's the problem you have, and I'm not sure exactly how this goes, but here's the problem you have. You know, at some point, if the earth is going to be packed with people, now, it may be that the new heavens and the new earth, the new earth is, is one of those gigantic planets. It may be that the earth is just the model, and when the real deal happens, it's, 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 it's huge. But the Jew is going to get Jerusalem, and that in itself poses a problem, because if they don't move off the Jerusalem and the Jews are in natural bodies and they're going to be having kids, you can imagine that that ain't going to work very long. So there has to be some alternative plan to that, and I don't profess to figure it all out, but if the patterns are true and the earth is a true pattern, then every planet out there that is probably a million times bigger than earth I mean, you take planet Jupiter. You know you could screw a hole in Jupiter and you could dump in uh, 80-some eight, eight, thousand Earths inside that and not fill it up. I mean, that's a big dude. Well, it's 886,000 miles wrong. Our, our planet itself is, what, 11,000 miles? I mean, come on. So you may have planets out there that are Earth-like, look like Earth, if Earth is the pattern, that may be... Lord only knows how big they are. And I would think that each one of them we now know is going to be in a different pattern of the second heaven matching up to one of the 12 tribes. It may be that every one of those planets have their own Jerusalem with their own Jews on it, and it works that way, and the earth is the model of it. That's the most sensible thing about it. Even at that, I certainly don't have any definitive answers. But if you follow all the models then earth is a model. Just like the church is the model. Just like Christ is the model. Just like the devil's a model. Just like Genesis 1-1. Just like Adam and Eve is a model. Just like everything is a model. The key is getting into God's mind and, and getting the 
and getting the, um, getting the model. So, well, we'll hold up there.